Welcome to the Bards FM Podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Dr. Mark Sherwood. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Wednesday, October 5th in the year 2022. Tonight we have a really good interview and it's going to start three nights of some really good interviews from three very special doctors tonight is dr mark sherwood who's a naturopath tomorrow is dr ben tapper who's a chiropractor in the midwest and doing some amazing work and then friday night is dr lee Merritt. all of these are designed to provide deeper information and really give a different outlook into healing and how we're going to get through these times ahead and really using the natural body systems to amplify what God gave us. Now with that, make sure you're getting a good night's sleep. I know we talk about this a lot, but it's absolutely essential that you keep your sleep up in these very stressful times. And to do that, where do you want to go? And you know, it's MyPillow. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards is our page on the, on the MyPillow site featuring all the great specials for Bards Nation. And with that, you're going to be able to find great savings on pillows and sheets and mattresses and comforters and all the essentials that you need to make sure that you're going to be comfortable, you're going to get a great night's sleep, and as well keep warm, especially as we enter into a winter, which they're promising us that heating costs are going to go up, fuel resources are going to go down because we're being run by a band of lunatics. But when we sleep, we don't want to have them in our dreams, to be very honest. Now, I've just finished traveling six weeks across the nation. You know that. I've slept in more Marriott beds than I can count, and I'm going to tell you, coming back to my bed that is all in my pillow system, it, I will tell you honestly, it is the best sleep I have anywhere I go. So I really encourage you to check out the MyPillow products. They also have the MyPillow towel sets, which are equally awesome, and the My Slippers and all sorts of other great products. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Use your promo code Bards, and you will not be disappointed. Again, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. So, Patriots, tonight we're going to have a great conversation, as I said, with Dr. Mark Sherwood. I've seen him a lot on Brighteon. His, his ad tends to run every time before one of my shows, and it's somebody who I've been meaning to connect with. It was a, just a real honor and pleasure to meet with, with him. He's a very interesting individual, has a very interesting background, and his focus on health and healing, always putting God first and letting the body do its best thing ever, which is to heal itself. And all that they do to facilitate that is worth listening to. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Dr. Mark Sherwood. Patriots, I'm really excited today. I have Dr. Mark Sherwood on with us. And we've never had him on the show before, but he is he and his wife run Functional Medical Institute. And I think you're going to find this very exciting. He is a patient-centered Medical Institute, and they are driving hard to rebuild health and wellness in people right at the core. So, Dr. Sherwood, 
Thank you for being on. How are you today? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. I've been uh, certainly paying attention to what you're doing, and I, I couldn't be more thrilled and honored to be with you tonight. Well, thank you very much. Dr. Sherwood, if you don't mind, can you kind of just give us a bit of background about yourself and, and who you are and, and, and even include your wife if you want, because you, you really have an innovative approach to doing medicine. Well, my wife, I'll start there because she, as I like to tell people, she's not just my uh, my spare rib. She's my perfectly glazed, braised prime rib. And so uh, I do I do think the, the world of her. She's my best friend and my workmate, my co-CEO. So we're in this together. Um, very brief history. Um, my career did not begin in the clinician realm. It actually began, I was a professional baseball player, and then I progressed to become a police officer, believe it or not. And then during my time on the police department, I was able to be on the SWAT team for a decade. And um, even while there, I traveled around the world with the, the power team, breaking bricks and preaching the gospel, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, then um, got into the idea of how to help mankind a little bit more and expand the idea of protection and service. So, you know, went back to school uh, against the uh, wishes and thoughts of people my age. And you can't do that. And I'm like, why not? And so uh, met my wife shortly thereafter. We joined forces and became the Functional Medical Institute. Um, now we we write books, we make movies, and we get people well. And that's I really enjoy that, Scott. It's like when you see people get well and get free, man, there's there's no greater thrill than that. That's quite a story and quite a background. I mean, I, I enjoy, I have a very eclectic background myself, but I enjoy running into this because I think it gives us so many more tools and it's pretty much as God guides us to prepare us for these times. I would assume that the combination of your baseball experience at professional sports level and then that combining with kind of a high performance combat level has gives you a great deal of insight into the human machine and what keeps it healthy. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that would be fair. I look at the system of the human body as being extraordinarily beyond mind comprehensive in its creation. And, and it blows my mind um, many times when I see what the human body can do and see what it can overcome. And so that's been our approach from day number one, Scott. We've asked the question, why? And we haven't focused on just diagnosis or the question perpetually, what is wrong with you or what is wrong with me? I want to show people what's right and show them how to make right more right and make wrong more minimal. That's really a, a pervasive theme in our culture is the negative. Yeah. We, we're always pushing that down. And I think that that has a lot to do with the state of mind and the state of health probably go hand in hand. It does. I mean, I was talking to someone recently and I, I thought out loud to myself how destructive it would be if every conversation was centered around answering the question about each other. Can you tell me what's wrong with me? Can you find out what's wrong with me? If we just continue to do that over and over again, I mean, I don't know how we're going to get in anywhere. And that's what we have today. And then when you get into the area and you parallel that with medical diagnoses, and it, we've gotten off course, because what happens is now, if you come to me and you're looking for the question, what is wrong, you know, like I just stated, and I get something that is currently in a state of dysfunction or disease with you, for example, if I were to say, you currently have the disease called hypertension. The you then would find the the real narrative in your own life being now I am hypertensive. In other words, it takes on your own identity. And many times that identity is switched from my name is Scott to my name is hypertensive. And because I'm hypertensive, I can't do this. So 
it cannot become an excuse. It cannot become an identity. It's information, and we need to reverse information. And so what we do with that one is, yeah, we're not unaware of a diagnosis, but diagnosis of disease are no more than a group of symptoms put together, clustered together, that named disease. So I want to know why the symptoms occurred. And if I could determine upstream why the symptoms occurred, I can begin to eliminate the symptoms. Therefore, disease becomes irrelevant. So you're a naturopath, correct? Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And I think there's, there's a lot of, I don't even like using the term anymore, but it's, but the idea of alternate to the main medical industry, there's a lot of specialties. So what is, t- t- tell us about being a naturopath. Well, naturopath is uh, trained in all ideas of, let's call it natural therapies, natural herbology, natural medicine. It truly is the uh, the medicine that's been practiced for centuries that is not, quote, practiced anymore. It has been done and confirmed over the course of time. What we have now is this experimentation that's only been around 100 and years and some change, which we call mainstream medicine, but it's really alternative. It's brand new. That's why they're still practicing. And so I put this into context, you know, with the natural healers. Um, I'm not a quack. People get well, and I'll put what we create in leading people down a pathway of true healing up against any of this stuff today that's using mainline medicine as something to heal because mainline medicine does not heal. It simply manages. What we do is lead people down a pathway of true healing as opposed to true management. And my wife, I should mention, is a trained medical doctor. She's an osteopath. So I have that experience in in medicine as well as the assimilation of understanding and prescriptions and um, pharmacology, et cetera. And then we have four nurse practitioners work with us. So I I like to think we've got the best of all worlds. And of course, we're going to partner with biblical principles in that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but naturopaths also use ideas of very low doses of things to stimulate yeah. the body's immune system. Is that correct? Yeah, it's called homeopathy. And uh, you can look at it like this. You know, homeopathy, many times you'll see this um, these remedies that will say like ingredient A, 10X. Well, that just simply means that the amount has been multiplied down 10 times smaller than its original microscopic minimal amount. The idea of that, Scott, is the hormetic effect, and that's H-O-R-M-E-T-I-C, which is, in effect, that a little bit goes a long ways. The way I look at it like this and explain it in layman's terms is the body is so intricate in its ability to recognize something coming into the body that the smaller or minuscule it is, the harder it has to work to see it, therefore creating a more profound effect. That makes perfect sense. I've... I've used homeopathy in the past and has been very successful. I am a big proponent of everything alternate to corporate medicine. Is it's I think that we've the Rockefellers have done and Rothschilds have done a wonderful job of derailing that entire system. Yeah. They they did. Let's go back in time a little bit, about two years to the beginning of this COVID con thing that we were dealing with. When you saw this coming out, and I, I think a lot of us were kind of set back a little bit, not sure exactly what we were looking at, but obviously the media hype made it pretty clear that when the media starts becoming doctors, we have a problem. What was your initial approach to the COVID crisis, if we want to call it that, the manufactured crisis? That's interesting. You know, I've been asked that question a lot, as you might add and might might know. Um, you know, I, I remember back, it was probably February-ish of um, 
2020, I started hearing rumblings about this like everybody else did. You know, um, coronavirus is coming. You know, we don't know what it is. Many people die. And then we actually were speaking at a conference in Hawaii at the time. And, you know, at the time that the 1st of March of 2020, the whole world kind of went, let's just use a funny term, cattywampus upside down. It really did. And so I remember at that time, my wife and I were together. There was a bunch of people around us at the time, but we were kind of in our thoughts. And we went back and looked at some textbooks and we discovered that coronavirus had been around for a long, long time. It wasn't anything new. What was new and it was actually uh, very uh, normal in uh, bovine. So cows have coronavirus. They live with coronavirus and they don't die. So we we knew that. So that was what we chalked up to the, you know, the I know what I know column, right? And then we began to um, look at data from other uh, countries, you know, like China, Wuhan. And we began to understand that uh, younger people and more athletic people, let's say, didn't die. So we began to identify the risk factors of that. And so our thought was at that time, and I'm just going to lay it out to the way we looked at it, is we made the decision right then, because what I heard from our leadership, government, medicine, and even church was nothing but fear. And I said to my wife, this is not of God. I I knew it wasn't. It wasn't of God because it was leading by fear. And I said, we're not going to close. We're not going to shut down. We're going to teach people the principles like we've been doing for the last decade, how to live healthy, be healthy. And I don't believe in one moment, Scott, that God would allow a virus to be mutated, whether mankind had a handle or not, to wipe out all mankind. It didn't make sense. So we made a decision right then. We're going to treat it that way. And we're going to go after those comorbidities with everything we could. Obesity, type 2 diabetes, um, hypertension, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, And we were going to make sure that they had plenty of vitamin D because we saw a heavy correlation with the lack of vitamin D to the increased risk of hospitalizations. So we began to just come at it like that. And the really cool thing about that was, is we got into maybe, I don't know, May or so. And we're kind of flying to the radar, but doing what we thought was right. Well, before we knew it, nobody had died after about 2,000 people. And we're like, hey, we're on to something here. And we have um, had, I should say, several news anchors that actually were coming to us for care um, that were trying to do what we do, what we do. You know, they wanted healing too. So I called them and said, hey, well, first of all, I had the staff call them and said, hey, we've got a great story. We think we can help people. We think we've got some answers. And my staff calls, my calls went literally on deaf ears. And we were told the best response I got, it's on our radar. They wouldn't air the story. And so at that moment in time, I knew that we were under um, the um, manipulation of other forces. And we were dead set, completely convicted in standing our ground and not backing down. So from that moment in time, we just went forward with a vengeance to speak what we know is true, and the people didn't want to hear it, okay, no judgment, but we went on with what we knew, and now I think we're up to, I don't know, 10, 11,000 people, and same results, nobody dies, I mean, can't say you don't get sick, because I had it, I didn't like it very much, but hey, no, no thought of death on my end at all. My mirrors perked up, because what you mentioned, which I am in complete accord with, is you stressed exercise and you stressed healthy living you you didn't mention 
any pharmaceuticals. Now, I'm not saying there's, so I'm just curious, did you have to at any time use things like ivermectin and HCQ, or did you stay focused on the naturopath way to just help the body really stimulate its response? Well, fascinatingly enough, uh, early on the process, you know, there was really no talk about uh, medicinal cures other than the idea of developing a vaccine. But then we started to hear rumblings about, and we weren't at first, right? We, we didn't use medicines because we didn't know what to use, right? But then we started to hear rumblings about HCQ, hydroxychloroquine. And we did a little studying on hydroxychloroquine, and we understood that it was used in acute settings in hospitals, Okay. We understood that it's actually an immune suppressant used for things like lupus, uh, autoimmune, and malaria treatment, right? So we thought, okay, we're not treating malaria people, we're not treating lupus people, and we're not treating acute care people because we don't want them to go there, right? So, so our decision at that point was, well, we really don't want to suppress the immune system. I understand why it was used in hospital settings, but it wouldn't be really something to do to keep people out of the hospital because it sort of knocks down your ability to uh, fire your immune system weaponry somewhat, right? So we didn't use that right off the hand, right off the bat. And of course, ivermectin was still something out there in the, the, the far discussion at that point, talking back in spring, summer of 2020. Um, at that time, uh, we had the, the conversation about budesonide that was out there, azithromycin or a Z-pack was out there. And we thought, okay, budesonide might be okay if somebody has severe respiratory um, issues. And I began to look at the drug, um, the nutrient pull out of that drug, and it was significant. I mean, B vitamins, magnesium, a lot of them were pulled out with chronic use. So I thought, well, you know, maybe useful some point in time in acute settings, even out of the hospital, but we're not going to go there now because we don't want to start pulling out nutrients that drive the systems of the body, inclusive of the immune system. So we didn't go there. Um, eventually, we settled on a cocktail of a medrol dose pack or methylprednisone and azithromycin or a Z-pack. And we used that a few times if the person got about eight or nine days into it and just didn't get any better as far as the symptoms. If they did get better as far as the symptoms and the symptoms were getting less and less, we would just consider them in a construction of antibody mode. And so we didn't want to suppress that. So that was our, our kind of our angle. Now, when ivermectin come around the corner, you know, a few months later, um, at first, it was, you know, remember back when it was kind of kind of poo-pooed because it, it just it didn't didn't fit, you know, it it didn't fit the the mold, right? And I remember having medical doctors, you know, kind of talk about that. Well, you can't use that because it has no antiviral, it's antiparasitic, and okay, whatever. And so um we we didn't really go there. A lot of people did, but I began to look at the um the mechanism of action with ivermectin with one of the mechanisms of actions of one of the things we were using, which was high dose broccoli sprout extract. And what that did, it upregulated a, a compound called sulforaphane. And sulforaphane actually turns up your antioxidant system, turns up your detox systems, turns up your antiviral replication system, and increases your barrier health. How cool is that? So I found that that one actually had more mechanisms of actions similar to ivermectin, but from a more natural known approach. So we kind of went there and we also used uh, colostrum from a good bovine source. Again, back to that conversation, we updosed vitamin A, C, D, um, E, of course, omega-3 fatty acids, and even B vitamins and magnesium. 
This is really interesting. You mentioned something there. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. It was a nutrient drawdown or depletion that the pharmaceutical drugs actually cause. So this is sounding like when people are taking regular pharmaceuticals or taking a regular uh, regime, they're really depleting their baseline for what their body needs to build immune strength. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Let's keep in mind, and I'm going to give people a website that they can go. It's it's public website. I use it all the time. Um, the website people can go and plug in their medications. Write this down as mytavin, M-Y-T-A-V-I-N.com, mytavin, M-Y-T-A-V-I-N.com. You can plug in your medications, and it will give you the studies that uh, are associated that describe the nutrient pullout. Just a simple anatomy slash physiology basic lesson. The smallest living thing is a cell. A cell has a membrane, a nucleus, and it has all these little organelles inclusive of the mitochondria. Well, the cells, they begin to form and make these things called tissues. Tissues form organs. Organs form organ systems, and organ systems form organisms. Now, having said that, it just makes sense that the cell Smallest living thing needs B vitamins and magnesium, amino acids, and all these stuff just to operate. And if you take those away as a normal, not side effect, but known effect by medications, you might get some instant or instantaneous relief or gratification or symptom minimization. But over the course of time, with the nutrient drawdown, you're going to get system dysfunction or system malfunction, and we don't want that either. So, you know, there, there is a give and take with medicines, and people just need to be informed of that. And this is really interesting because we that's where big pharma and the whole medical industry really blinds us as we go through this. And it's it's the quick, I guess you'd call it like the McDonald's drive through version of medicine, take a pill and you feel better, where the, the naturopathic way is to give the body some time correct? To, to regenerate and to rejuvenate. Yeah, it is. I mean, our bodies are capable of um, indescribable, unfathomable miracles. I mean, look, the things that we've been exposed to in our current modern day environment, let's just start with the standard American diet, just absolute garbage, full of chemicals, full of estrogenic compounds, um, chemicals we breathe, put on our skin, drink in the water that we bathe in, that we're exposed to. It's unbelievable. And we're still here having this conversation. How does the body do that? It's called the adaptive immune system, which is different from the innate immune system. And so our body's ability to overcome, remember what we face and adapt and adjust and um, sort of um, round up and circle the wagons around that is incredible. And that's kind of way I looked at it. I thought, well, if, um, you know, if, if God wanted us all dead, I guess he could kill us. But um, I don't read in God's word that we're going to be destroyed by a virus. <laughs> I don't think we're going to die one day quicker than God says so. And I just kind of come at it like that, Scott. No, I think that's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about the way your practice works. You have your wife, obviously, is an MD, and then and then you are the naturopath. So that brings together some really interesting talent sets to be able to provide a very holistic approach to medicine if a patient's coming in, let's talk like intake to how you're going to treat. Yeah. So my wife, she's actually a, a, a doctor of osteopathy or a DO. And, and just so people know what that is, they're, they're trained in all the MD modalities. And she actually had several MD fellowships she did, but she's also trained in hands-on medicine. So she has the um, 
similarities to a chiropractor as well. So she can do all that hands-on and hands-off MD chiropractor combined the way I look at it. And she's also a naturopath. So she's, she's got, you know, multiple letters after her name. She's the brains and the beauty behind the operation. <laughs> but we um, have four nurse practitioners as well that work with us that are conventional trained. Now, when someone comes to see us, we are going to assess them in seven areas with two overriding factors. We're going to assess their nutrition, sleep, stress management, and movement. Now, those four areas of the seven, they have direct control and input into those things. Obviously, we'll give them guidance and we'll help them, but those are things that we do, right? The three behind that are going to be genetics. So we do a ton of genetic analysis. Again, I don't know why in the world people don't do that more these days, but they don't. We do a ton of hormones because without hormone presence, the immune system begins to deteriorate and become dysfunctional. Hence why age is such a massive comorbidity when it comes to COVID. And then we also do these things called peptides. Now, peptides are groups of amino acids that are compounded in pharmacy. And we actually use those. Now, peptides are not hormones. They don't act like that, but they do uh, cause regeneration, rebuilding of, of tissues, immune systems, brain, uh, muscles, loss of body fat, um, collagen and skin, profess, prevent wrinkling and all that kind of stuff, grow hair back. And they work amazing. And then over the top of that, two principles that we're going to always pay attention to is the emotional and spiritual component because the majority of all physical manifestations of disease, Scott, are rooted in emotional and or physical or and or spiritual brokenness. And so we really need to understand the connection between the physical, emotional, spiritual. So we put them through that gamut. We run the appropriate tests. And we have all kinds of cool razzle-dazzle tests. And, you know, we get them better and we develop a relationship with them and uh, see them just, you know, it's kind of a teaching process, almost like a almost like a curriculum we take them through uh, that's based upon them. So it's very personalized. It's sounding also like a relationship process. So it's sounding to me where you're describing it is you're building a relationship. So somebody's coming back and almost going through regular maintenance then. Is that, is that fair? That is fair. Um, a lot of people come to us, man. And, and um, a lot, I mean, from around the, the country, which the beauty of telemedicine is amazing today. Right. And thank you COVID. Right. But the idea behind that is, they do tell us that, you know, I, I felt heard. I felt listened to. And and sometimes, man, I look at it like we've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Maybe we should learn to listen twice as much as we talk. And people appreciate that, you know. I have people that that will come to us and say, you know what? You're the first person to listen to me. Uh, you're the first doctor to listen to me. And there's healing in that. So sometimes people can have a, a voice and a person to uh, show them empathy, you know, uh, sympathy, that, and non not being apathetic with it. Sometimes there's healing in just talking to that. There's been a few times, and it's kind of funny, people would come in there, and they'd start talking about their problems, and they would get ready to leave. Boy, I feel better now. Thank you so much. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just listened to you. But it is based on relationships. Our whole practice has been on relationships, and uh, we have, you know, pockets of families uh, all over the country now that started off with one person, you know, maybe hearing about us on uh, Bards FM or something like that, and they began to share the word, and um, and that's how we built it on relationships. And frankly, relationships bring healing. 
when there's not relationships, which is basically the uh, leftist mentality to segregate, divide, conquer, isolate, dominate, uh, we lose the opportunity to have healing. Let's talk a little bit about the genetic testing, and, and I'd like you to talk about how you approach it, because this has become a pretty big hot button yeah. on a negative, thanks to yeah. all these brain-piercing tests they've been doing to check for COVID and the concern of the actual control of the information, since China seems to be sweeping up so much of it. Well, let's understand that there is a, an agenda out there to try to hack genetics. I mean, we all know that. They've been very overt about it, and there's a belief you can truly you can insert genetic material into the DNA through what's called CRISPR technology, C-R-I-S-P-R. That's been around for a long, long time. That's nothing new. It's not encouraged and it's basically banned uh, in various countries, including China, right? But is it done? I'm sure. It's like cloning. Is that done? I'm sure it is, right? And now we have this um, mRNA uh, technology, which is inserting a computer code or a mRNA sort of transcription instruction into your RNA. Now, the way it's supposed to work is the DNA is inside of the nucleus, and when it's uh, keyed to roll out by the outside environment, it sort of rolls out recipes that are transferred, obviously, to the RNA, where the RNA, the ribosomal nucleic acid is supposed to assemble proteins to make tissues, to make enzymes, to make these things, right? And so what happens is with this mRNA is they're inserting a computer code to make these spike proteins. What they told us originally was that it couldn't go backwards. In other words, DNA, RNA, outwards, right? DNA, nucleus, outwards towards the, the uh, cell membrane and then out. But guess what? There's something called reverse transcriptase. Uh, it's like the the tRNA, but it goes the other way. Uh, the transcriptase RNA, but it goes backwards. It goes into the DNA. So we know now that even the mRNA is changing the DNA. I say all that to say this. We are not ever going to understand the awesomeness of the DNA. That literally, in my opinion, people say I'm crazy, but that's fine. I mean, I'll be called a quack if people get well. The, the DNA is truly the hand of God in each one of us, in each one of us. That is shocking. That is unbelievable. That is awesome. And because of that, we can't understand that because the mind of God is too deep for comprehension. His ways and thoughts are much, much higher than our ways and thoughts. And so the error in this philosophy that is the globalist mentality to hack DNA is it's going to backfire. You're never going to become God. And that's, look, that's the whole agenda. They want to become God. They don't know God. They're scared of dying. That's just bottom line. Now, we look at DNA from a positive standpoint. I want to know what the DNA tells me. There's 25-ish thousand genes within the human being, Scott. And of that, you and I and all human beings are about 99% identical as humans. But in that 0.1% or 1%, there's variations in the genetic combination of these letters. Now, our genes, when they're constructed together, these 25, 6,000, they have four letters that are assembled, like the genetic alphabet, A, T, C, G, adenine, thymine, cytosine, guanine. And when we have mom and dad, Scott, come together, and it's like a, two potatoes whoosh, smashing together, making a mashed potato, you're going to get different letters slightly within that genetic code. That results in trillions of potential combinations. These little varying letters actually make 
variations in the way we make proteins and that variates function. So I want to know, for example, when someone takes a vaccine, I'm giving you some of the information we can get from this. What would that do to driving their inflammatory pathways? A lot, a little bit, moderate. I also want to know their ability to detox. Again, coded in part by our genetic tendencies and susceptibilities. So I want to know how well they detox. And then I want to know from a naturopathic standpoint, how I can augment their own system from adding environmental cues such as nutrients, uh, therapies, et cetera, to make them do those things better. So we're able to see kind of prediction of effects from environmental stimuli, including vaccines. And then we're able to predict what the genes are going to do, giving us the ability to manipulate the environment to change and alter genetic effect and response so that we can get a positive response instead of negative. I said all that to say this. We have had people in our in our practice, we, big practice, not most of them, and I don't encourage it, uh, but we've had people take the vaccine because they felt like they needed to. And I had one that gave me a great response. She said, uh, she was a nurse up in the uh, Northeast area. She said, you know, Mark, I'm going to take the vaccine because I feel like the hospital's in my mission field. I'm like, wow, man, I haven't heard that response before. And she said, it's not going to hurt me. And you're going to make sure that doesn't hurt me. I said, well, I, I'll do my best, but I, I believe God will protect you if he told you to do that. And uh, she's not dead. Um, we haven't had a lot of negative effects from the vaccine. And I think it's been because of the genetic information we have and the approach we've taken. So what you're suggesting, which is very interesting, that through a genetic analysis, you can modify the effects or even cleanse the body of the impact of the facts. Is that is what, is what I'm hearing? Yeah, we can actually predict effects because let's look at a vaccine in general. What's its purpose? Its purpose is to instigate or stimulate the immune system. Whether you're looking at a viral vector, you know, like the typical vaccines like the flu vaccine, or you're looking at the uh, mRNA. Now, the mRNA is a, is a different animal altogether. But let's look at both of those in just a tunnel, if we should. Both are designed to instigate the immune system and upregulate it to cause the immune system to respond by creating antibodies to that uniqueness of that protein, which is that virus, right? We all kind of there, right? So when it does that, how does it respond? Strong or weak? Strong enough or too weak? Or overwhelmingly strong to develop antibodies to crush anything that comes upon it? And we can kind of see that looking at genetic analyses. We can kind of see weaknesses and susceptibilities, and we can also correlate that with where they are in their health standpoint. For example, if people are taking the uh, standard American diet routinely, I can tell you they're getting bombarded with uh, toxins, pollutions, and their immune system is already weak. So you bring in a little vaccine, whether it be mRNA or a viral vector, and you're going to perhaps tip it over the edge. So we need to know all of those things and strengthen the system so that the overwhelming uh, nature of the system does not get overwhelmed by the vaccine. And again, I, I, I want to be very clear about this. I am not a fan of the vaccines. Don't support them. I thought they were extremely rushed. I was not a fan, am not a fan of Operation Warp Speed. I, I thought it was a bad idea. Now, having said that, you know, people have taken the vaccine. And some of them have had buyer's remorse. And I get that. They they want the money back. 
can't get your money back. But I want to give them some hope that they're not walking around like a ticking time bomb, like can be broadcast because fear will also cause a detrimental, almost catastrophic effect on the immune system's ability to overcome and adapt. I think that's well said. I talk about this a lot that we, we were, we fought one battle that was to keep people from taking it. Where we are now is dealing with the consequence of decision. And so what I'm hearing you say is that you're, you're going to do everything you can to make sure that their body stays strong and healthy, even if it's been compromised by this injection, which is, again, it's a bit tricky because I, I, what you're saying in, in the way you're describing it with this tra- reverse transcription that goes on with the mRNA, are you seeing that that can have permanent effects on the DNA? Or do you think that those effects, because the DNA is so complex, through the proper nutrition, diet, exercise program, and as and sort of nutrients and homeopathic approach, do you think that that damage can be reversed by the body? I think the body can do anything. I really can, uh, because I've seen some crazy things happen. I think there's so much of the DNA that we don't understand, that we can't understand, that we never will, and I've accepted that. Having said that, I believe if you give the body what it needs, to do what it's capable of doing, even though we cannot fathom what it all can do, it at least gives us an opportunity to be able to correct the damage. Now, do I know the answer in everybody? Of course not. Can I predict the future? No. But all I can do is encourage people to do what they have control over right now to give them a peace of mind. And you're right about what you said. We're in a different point in time. Lots of people have taken the vaccine under auspices of when they took it, it's not that bad, or somebody told them they could. But now we're at a place where a lot of people did, and there's a perpetual bombardment of information out there, and and rightly so. It's good observations about myocarditis, you know, and the spike proteins being found everywhere, and reproductive issues, and uh, brain issues, et cetera, et cetera, long-haul COVID. I hear all that uh, shedding. Having said all that, those could all have viable uh, traction to them. They could all be right. But what do I have control over? What I do with my own body. And so we want to come along beside of people and give them some hope. Give them some hope that, hey, let's trust the things that we don't know and uh, give the body what it needs to just see what happens. And so far, it's, it's been good. That's great. Now, you mentioned your practice is also a telemed practice. Is that correct? Yeah, we have people come in every day. I mean, it's a very busy place, but we do see people um, through the wonderful portals such as as this that we're on now. It's and it's great. So uh, we're able to serve them and and give them um, advice on things such as nutrition and these ideas we've talked about today. We're able to get testing done anywhere around the country, which is cool. So um, yeah, we get to see people from around the country. That's fantastic. And so, where is your clinic located? We're located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and again, we have a lot of people in Oklahoma, a lot of people in, uh, you know, in, I believe your home state's Missouri, right? Something like that, right? No, actually, mine, mine's Oregon, believe it or not. So, Oh, yeah, we've got people in Oregon, too. So it's it's good. Um, but we've got people in not all states, but, but most of them, I would say. And then as far as like the, the process, if somebody wanted to engage with you online, do they? I was looking at the website. It looks like they can fill out a, a an entry form and then make contact with you. Is that how that works? 
Yeah, we have um, – there's several different ways that people can – we have plans and things that are um, designed for people that just want you know nutritional advice and want to know kind of what to, these principles we talked about. Uh, we have plans that are like uh, just video audio courses and two-week plans, 120-day plans that – you know, we're not involved, but it can just do. But if people want us to, us to work with them directly, twice a month, we have a free webinar. And the webinar gives them an opportunity to um, hear us present about what we do. I don't want someone paying for something we do without knowing us. In other words, that relationship. So we're going to take the first step and basically introduce ourselves. Uh, at the end of that webinar, we give people a chance to schedule appointments, and they can do that as an individual or a couple. And we like couples coming together because again, that is super helpful towards encouragement and knowledge retention. So again, people can schedule appointments. They can typically get in within a week, two or three, because we hold appointments aside for every uh, single webinar. And it's a pretty smooth process. Who'd you play baseball for? I played in Australia, believe it or not. I went over there after college. I had this dream of playing in the major leagues and thought, I'm going to take a shot at it. So um, I was signed by a professional team over in Australia, the Sturt Saints. And then while I was there, I played also for the Adelaide Cardinals. Little note fact, I was rookie of the year over there. Go figure. <laughs> I got back over here and uh, kept trying to sign on to different teams. And I kept getting cut. And not because I wasn't a good player, but because at that time, I think I was 24 years of age and had been around the world. And people that were not quite as good as me, but probably would be better, were like 17 or 18. So I, I get it. And so I thought, well, baseball career is not not going to make the major leagues. I'll just uh, join the police department. So there you go. And then where were you? It Was this in Tulsa where you were in the police department? Yes, sir. I was in Tulsa for 24 years on the, on their department. Oh, that's fantastic. So, and then you were on the SWAT team as well, you said? Yes, for a decade. So how did that work? Was that a, uh, a separate assignment or was that a, a, an adjacent assignment to what your normal um, police duties were? Yeah, it was the same. Uh, we, um, at that time, it was an on-call team. And so, you know, we would be out on patrol or whatever we're doing. And uh, at that time we had pagers. And so the pager would go off. We'd have to answer where we were and drive to it. And I changed clothes in the middle of the street many, many times and uh, in front of people and uh, would go out there and work. Uh, I was telling um, someone recently that for about 10 years, I never got to spend a Christmas Eve and Christmas and most of the time New Year at home because people got crazy violent during those times. And it was invariable that I would have a harmed and barricaded or a suicidal call go out. Um, and it was it was tragic. So I, you know, I missed a, a good share of those holidays because of that. As we wrap this up, but what you've kind of mapped out for yourself is someone who's been in a, in high level sports, which I've competed in myself. So there's a there's a mindset there that a lot of people need to learn is what I would say, because it's a discipline. It's a commitment and it's an intensity. And you've carried that over then. And I'm sure that was you know, on the SWAT team and as police officer, that was going to be the same fitness mental discipline, mental focus, and that seems to carry on now in your practice. So how do you teach people that? I look at it like this, you know, um, I don't look at obstacles as obstacles. I look at them as opportunities. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of thrive on people telling me you can't do that. I've always been one that's battled from behind. And that's, that's kind of that mentality, that focus you're talking about. You know, an athlete has to carry a certain chip on their shoulder a certain chip that says, I'm going to prove 
to you that I can do this. I'm going to prove to you that this can be done. And so that's driven me, Scott. It's driven me to um, perpetually ask the questions, why and why not? And that drives people nuts, but I just don't settle for that. And I realized that, and this is me again, um, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't back away from that at all. I believe that the fruit of God's spirit lives in me. And one of the fruits is self-discipline or translated self-control. So if I can exhibit self-control and discipline, all I'm doing is yielding myself to God's purpose for my life. And all I know is if I try to have the self-discipline or self-control or willpower on my own, I will fail. But if I yield to him, that will not fail. And to that end, my whole endeavor in life is not really to bring attention to myself. It's to bring attention to, you know, my Lord and, and by bringing light and hope to the world. And to do that, man, I've got to be disciplined. I cannot be the example of hypocrisy. I just can't do it. And so life is like a big contest, man. Losing is not an option. There's no just participation trophies. Go out there to win, man. And I don't want to go out of my life and live with this idea when I breathe my last Scott that I would have, should have, could have. I don't want to do that. So, you know, that's a long answer to a short question, but that's what drives me. And those, those are some of the keys that people will embrace. Um, what we were talking about, what we are talking about, what you know as I do, um, it's attainable and achievable uh, for everybody out there. It sure is. Those are great words. We've been talking a lot about the warrior spirit within Scripture and uh, the humble warrior. And which I think Christ would refer to as meek, which is very poorly translated, but it's definitely giving to to our our Lord and Savior and to God to lead us as we must to give us that unbelievable ability to conquer anything. So that's those are good words. Amen. And I look at uh, the story of Daniel, which drives me a lot. That guy in Daniel one eight was resolved. We have got to be resolved. And I am resolved not to defile or destroy my physical body by doing something dumb. Uh, do I do things dumb? Of course. Do I plan on them? No way. Do I expect them? No, I'm not going to set my bar of expectation low. The only way we can win out here, and this is for our patriot friends, Scott, the only way we can win is if we're resolved and prepared for battle. If we're weak, um, distracted by disease and death and lack, we're going to get crushed. And my job is to equip people to go out there and win. I think that's the great words right there. And we should all be equipping people to win. That's just yep. it right there. Well, Mark, we always close the show with a prayer. And if it's okay with you, I'll do a prayer. Yes, sir. Amen. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this amazing meeting. Again, just another warrior in Christ that has come to the channel to share his story, to share the inspiration of healing, overcoming, and facing these mountains that are before us fearlessly. Father, we just pray that uh, the, the words that shared here today will resonate deeply with people's heart. They'll continue to cast their gaze at the highest mountain to climb, to continue to pursue that narrow path, to never give in, to never bow, and to always put you first in all that we do. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Real pleasure. It's been an Long time coming. I've seen you around a lot, and I'm very honored to have you on the show today. So thank you very much.
Oh my gosh, that was awesome. Reach out anytime. I truly, truly enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you, Mark. And bless you and bless your wife and all that you do. And uh, we'll be in touch. I'd like to have you back on. Oh, you bet, man. Reach out anytime. Okay. God bless. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks, Scott. Well, Patriots, that was Dr. Mark Sherwood, who is the CEO or co-CEO with his wife of the clinic with Functional Medical Institute. I used, I think it's just very refreshing to have these sorts of views of people that see health as unlimited, that the healing potential of the body is limitless because it's God's perfect system. And we really start to get that orientation back into our lives and the positivity of knowing that healing is possible. We start to understand the power of what we really possess within us. And I think that's all of that. As you know, I believe very strongly that that's scriptural. So if you enjoyed this show, tomorrow night, Dr. Ben Tapper, and then Friday night, Dr. Lee Merritt, just a really good week of solid interviews from what I consider to be some of the top medical professionals right now in the industry looking towards healing and restoring the power of the body. And it's so important in this, in this time. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait, but this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. 
because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 